you've got a Bible, please open it with me to Psalm 30, or yeah, Psalm 34 today. And please rise as we read Psalm 34 together. This is the word of the Lord. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord, and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life, desires to see many good days, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, now one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked, the foes of the righteous will be condemned, but the Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. In 2008, my wife Joy and I went to Maui for her uh, brother's wedding. It was a hardship leaving Michigan in February and having to spend a whole horrible week in the tropical sunshine and looking at the palms. And it was, uh, yeah, we, we, we gritted our teeth. We made the best of that situation. And one of the days after they got married, the whole family, we decided we were going to go out and go snorkeling off the beach. It was just, it was the thing to do. So all of us, we got our little floaties, and we got some masks, and we got the snorkels, and we went out into the water. And we just kind of drifted there. Uh, Joy and I shared a floaty, and we put our heads down, and we, we just looked at everything underneath you. And if you've ever been to Maui, the water is just clear, crystal clear. You can see, you know, uh, dozens of feet down. And we would watch all the fish swim under us. We saw a couple sea turtles, which was a special treat. And so we just kind of lay there. We were just enjoying some peace and some tranquility. But we, what we didn't realize is during all that time that we were just watching, that very slowly, very calmly, but surely, the ocean was starting to pull us back. And so after a while, we kind of looked up. We were like, oh, hey, those people are really small back there on the beach. Yeah, let's look at some more sea turtles. And we looked down. And after a while, her brother came out to us and said, you guys are kind of getting a little far out. You know, you might want to come in. We'll say, we'll come in in a couple minutes. 
And so we, we went back to snorkeling, and then her dad came out and said, listen, you guys are really starting to get kind of far out. Do you want to borrow my flippers? And I'll help you get back in. We said, you know, Dad, it's okay. You, you go back in. We'll start kicking our way in. So we did. We started kicking our way, the two of us, toward the shore. Because we looked, and to, to the sides of us and behind us, there was nobody. And we were starting to get out to the part where the water started turning really deep blue. So we said, you know, yeah, we probably do need to start going in at this point. So we started kicking. But at that point, we realized that for every foot we went forward toward the beach, we were getting pulled out two or three feet. And so it was a net loss seconds by seconds as we started to go. So we started to realize at that point we were actually in some severe trouble. And we were told later on, this, this has haunted my dreams at night, we were told around Hawaii, the ocean currents are like a highway. And if you get far enough away from the shore, those currents pick you up and they zip you out into the middle of the Pacific, and there is nothing around Hawaii. There's a whole lot of nothing. So if you got sucked out that far, the chances of you getting rescued are very, very slim. So we looked up, we realized we weren't making any progress, we raised our hand to the lifeguard, and God bless him, he was already on his way out to us. And he grabbed onto us, and he had flippers, because he was way smarter than we were, and he pulled, pulled us in towards shore. But let me tell you, there's nothing about facing certain death. There's nothing like facing certain death that makes you so grateful for when you're rescued from it. From when you're rescued from it. There's always this time afterward that anytime I think about that day, I feel this rush of gratitude for the lifeguard and for, and for God watching over us during that. And this kind of this sense of being rescued from certain death and the thanksgiving that follows is the central theme here in Psalm 34. But the reason I picked it today is this is a very unique psalm. This is a very special psalm I've been saving for Easter because it works on three different levels. It speaks to three different rescues that are all intertwined. This is how prophecy sometimes works in the Bible. That the prophet could be prophesying on two different levels or sometimes three simultaneously. So here we read of a rescue of King David, of the rescue of Jesus Christ, and an invitation for us to be rescued. So I want to take a look at this today. It's a really great psalm. But the immediate context of this psalm actually comes from the story, the account, in 1 Samuel chapter 21. In 1 Samuel 21, I'll save you some page flipping there, David is on the run from King Saul. You might remember way back from your Sunday school lessons that Saul grew to hate David, that he saw David as a threat to his throne, that David was blessed by God in a way that Saul wasn't. And so Saul became incredibly jealous and wanted to murder David on several occasions, took a stab at it, quite literally, with spears, took a stab at killing him. So David is on the run from Saul. Saul's breathing down his neck. David's on the run. He's on the road. But the problem is his only escape route the only way away from Saul lies through the Philistine city of Gath. Now, you say, well, why is that a big deal? I'll tell you why that's a big deal. Because Gath also happened to be the hometown of a guy you might have heard of called Goliath. The guy David killed. And then cut off his head with a sword. And now is carrying that sword right to Gath. And he knows it. David knows it. He's running right into the jaws of certain death. He sees people on the wall like, is that David? 
Zach, that David guy, he killed our hometown hero. And they're, they're just pounding their fists. They're ready for a little revenge. And the king actually calls, the king of Gath calls out. He says, you bring that David to me. I will take care of him. That's the situation. David is just, he has no escape there. He's being brought into the city. And they grab his arms and they take him. They bring him in front of the king. And that's when David goes to God in prayer. He says, you know, God, deliver me. Deliver me. And David goes and decides he's going to try a desperate, last-ditch attempt at insanity. This is his whole plan. He starts drooling into his beard. I do that, people look at me a little weird. He does that, people definitely looked at him weird. He just had drool dripping down his beard. But more than that, 1 Samuel 21 tells us he ignored the king, he went up to one of the doorposts, and he just starts scratching at it like a cat. He's drooling and he's scratching, and the king goes, you've brought me a madman. You haven't brought me really David. This isn't the great warrior who struck down Goliath. And the king throws David out of the city. And as soon as David's thrown out of the city, as soon as the guards go away, David wipes off that drool, and he goes to a cave, and he sits down, and he writes Psalm 34. That's the immediate context that we're in here. That David is so grateful that when he called to God for help, he's so grateful that God answered him in a powerful way. He writes, he actually sings this. Remember, all the Psalms are songs at their heart. David sings, I sought the Lord, and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant, for their faces are never covered with shame. David's rescue took him from this place of deep fear, of the assurance that he was going to be killed or tortured or worse, to a place of radiance, of glory. The language he uses here in Psalm 34 is that of a mother who has lost their child and is scared to death for that kid and suddenly sees the child. And that instant where a face is transformed from stark fear to radiance and joy. That's the transformation that David's talking about. Where your face is just lined with worry, but in an instant when God answers you, in an instant where God delivers you, your face is transformed and your heart is filled with the joy of knowing that your Savior has arrived. But David's rescue only happened because he sought the Lord. He didn't just rely on his own strength or his own wit, or his own pride. He sought the Lord, and the Lord rescued him. When I was off the coast of Hawaii, I let my pride get in the way. I said, I can, I can rescue myself. I can get myself back into land. But that wasn't the case. I had to get over my pride and seek help. And when we are lost, we need the same. But to a much greater extent, more than the story of David, as fascinating as that is, Psalm 34 points ahead to a weekend, hundreds and hundreds of years in the future, when the Son of God was nailed to the cross. I want us to take a moment and imagine just how disheartening this weekend was for the followers of Jesus Christ. I know we have the luxury of hindsight. We know how the story ends. But imagine you were there in the moment how it was for these followers that have been following Jesus. They've seen the crowds around them. 
They've seen how magnificent His miracles could be. They've seen Him raise people from the dead. They've seen Him walk on water. They've heard the power of His words. We talked last week about the power of His prayer. And they said, well, if anybody is our Messiah, if anyone is the Christ, this is it. And they walk with Him into Jerusalem thinking He's going to be crowned King. And now, He goes on trial. And they say, well, I've heard Him say the most magnificent things. That He has wisdom beyond all men. Surely, He'll mount a defense in this trial. It'll get Him off the hook. But He, for the most part, remains quiet. Does not defend Himself. And so he sends to die. And the, the few followers that remain stay there at the foot of the cross and they watch him. They hear him gasp and groan. But they pray for a miracle. They know that Jesus has done far greater than he could get off that cross at any moment. And they wait until his very final breath. Waiting for that miracle. Hoping for it. And they don't get it. And so with nothing else to do, they pull down his limp body battered, bruised, bleeding. And they bring it to a tomb. And they lie him there. And they seal it away forever. And when that stone rolled across the entrance, it brought home the point that their Lord, their Messiah, the hope of salvation was gone forever. Over the course of that weekend, as Satan was rejoicing as he was doing his victory dance, God's people wept. We're told that the disciples, the men, they went and they hid in a locked room. They were terrified to the point that they were sure at any moment the Romans or the Jews would be knocking down their door and dragging them away to be killed. The women prepared burial spices for Easter morning while tears ran down their cheeks. There was no hope. There was no Hope, if there's anybody in the world that was, pot, was beyond all hope of rescue, it was Jesus Christ in this moment until the Almighty God made it possible. What the followers of Christ did not realize is that God's rescue plan had been right in front of their noses all along. A lot of them, all the kid, Jewish kids back then, they would grow up until a certain age They would memorize Scripture. They would memorize the Psalms. They read the Psalms over and over again. They knew them by heart. They undoubtedly knew Psalm 34. What they never realized is that they were reading in Psalm 34 the rescue plan of Jesus Christ. They never made that connection the way that John chapter 19 does. John 19 owns this Psalm. says this Psalm applies to Jesus specifically and directly. David prophesied of the rescue to come, especially in verses 17 through 20. Let me read those again. David writes this of Jesus. The righteous cry out, the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them would be broken. Who was the only righteous, truly righteous person who ever lived? Jesus is the one of whom this psalm speaks. The one who was afflicted with practically every trouble known to man. 
He was despised. He was falsely accused. He was betrayed. He was mocked. He was spat upon. He was whipped. He was killed in the most painful way possible. And he bore the wrath of God for the sins of his people. He had every trouble. But even through all those troubles, God still rescued him. And the people who read Psalm 34 were given a sign. They were given a clue that this was speaking of Jesus' rescue. That not a single bone in his body would be broken. Why is that significant? It's significant because when you were crucified by the Romans, they want, it was designed to let you suffer as long as possible. But at a certain point, they would have mercy upon you. And they would come along with an iron bar and they would break your legs so that you would suffocate. But Jesus Christ died before a single one of his bones were broken. And so for the many people who were taken down off crosses, Jesus Christ, his bones were still whole. What Jesus' followers could not see is that when he died, God had not abandoned him in that moment. Psalm 34 said, in fact, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivered him. The angels, God himself, was around Jesus Christ. Not only did David point to Jesus' death, but also Jesus' rescue from death. God had promised to rescue the righteous one. And on Easter morning, the stone was rolled back, eyes blinked open, breath returned to the lungs, the heart started to beat, and the Son of God, the glorified Christ, strode out, having destroyed sin, and beaten death. The resurrection, as we proclaim here at Knox Church, changed everything. It certainly changed the disciples. They went, as David wrote here, from being deep in their fear to having faces lit up in radiant joy. Going from tears of sorrow to tears of happiness. That they're just, if you ever been so happy that you just like your cry, cry, laughing, That's what they did on Easter morning as they saw the empty tomb, as Jesus appeared to them, as they realized that God's promise came true. And from that moment on, no force in the world could stop those men from telling people of the resurrection. they, They were all killed almost to a man because of what they said, yet they couldn't stop themselves. The same truth they said is the same truth I tell you today, that He is risen. And even as David sings for joy over his rescue and over the rescue of the Messiah to come, he also, in this psalm, invites us to be rescued. Twice in this psalm, David indicates that there are two types of people in the world. If you like to categorize everybody, you'll see how David does this here. He says there are two types of people. There are those who need rescue, and there are those who have been rescued. Everybody in the world is in one of those two states. He doesn't really mince words about those needing rescue either. They are called, in verse 16, those who do evil. And in verse 21, the enemy of the righteous. They are people who are so lost in their sins, so devoted in their lives to denying the need of a Savior. I don't need to be saved. What do I need to be saved from? I'm doing okay. I'm doing just fine. I'm a basically good, basically moral person. I don't need to be saved. And David says, but you are doing evil. You 
are the enemy of the righteous one. These are the people who claim that they're doing just fine without God. And so they live according to their own rules and their own wickedness. And these people right here are in the greatest need of a rescue because if they die without it, God remains their enemy and they remain God's enemy forever. They are swept out into the sea, lost for eternity because of their stubbornness and their pride and their sin. This is the danger you are in if you have not thrust your hand up to Jesus Christ and asked Him for a rescue. Yesterday, I went to the hospital with Ellen and I held the hand of a dying woman. And she died this morning at 421. That was Julie from Sheridan Parkside. Please pray for her sister. But as we're holding her hand, as we read the Psalms to her, as we prayed over her, as we sang into her ears, our prayers, we have no idea what the state of her soul was. But I watched her gasping. I watched those final breaths. And all I could think about is how close we always are to eternity. How close we are to being swept out. And if we are not rescued before that moment, we never will be. And so I encourage you today to hear what David's saying as an invitation. And that's why this psalm is ultimately joyous, because it is an invitation. Because right now, if you are hearing this, Jesus Christ is reaching out to you. He has not taken His hand away. His hand is open. It is reaching out to you. He says, just grab on. Admit your need for a Savior. Admit that you can't save yourself. That I can do it for you. And if you grab His outstretched hands, if you repent and turn away from your sins, if you call Him Lord, He will deliver you once and for all. Once and for all. He will take His perfect righteousness and He will cloak you in it. He will call you, very literally, His son or daughter. Because you are His now part of His family. And He will remove the stain of all of your sin and the weight of the guilt that you've been bearing for your entire life. And He will replace it with His peace and His love. David writes this in the final verse. He says, The Lord will rescue His servants and not one of them who takes refuge in Him will be condemned. Not a single person who calls on the name of Jesus Christ to be saved will be condemned in the end. David took refuge in God and was delivered. Jesus took refuge in the Father and was delivered. And because of that, we know that when we take refuge in God, we too can be delivered. But it's one thing for me to tell you that. It's one thing for me to just share with you a testimony and declare the Word of God to you and say, you can be saved. You can be absolved of your sins. And it's another thing to experience it yourself. It's like I, if I go to a restaurant and I come back and I get really obnoxious about telling you how incredible the food was and how tasty it was and I describe all of the dishes and I tell you how satisfied I was, it's nothing like actually going there yourself, is it? And actually experiencing it. And that's what it is here. David invites you personally in verse 8 to taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. It's almost a dare. If you think you're broken, if you think you're past the point of redemption, the past the point of hope, I have met so many people who think that, by the way. 
They think, well, I have sinned one too many times. I'm way too messed up for God to take me and sort me out. Taste and see. God is saying, I can take you on. There's nothing too great for me to take you on. Find out just for yourself how good the Lord is. How much He loves you. How much He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And that refuge is waiting for you. That safety as He pulls you to safety up on that beach and gives you new life. Psalm 34 is the story of every Christian. And it can be your story too if you don't call yourself the son or daughter of Christ. I pray that would be your your refuge today. Read this psalm. Let it convict you. Hear the words and taste and see that our God, a risen God, a God who walks with us even as I speak, can be your God too. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the words of Psalm 34. We know that they are truth. They are your truth given to us. Not just as an inspiration, not just to make us feel good, but Lord, they are our life. That's our path forward. Lord, each one of us could not save ourselves on our own. Each one of us is so deep in our sin. Yet Lord, through Easter Sunday, through the cross, through the tomb, through the resurrection, you made it entirely possible for us to be saved. So for Lord, for those of us who are saved, who are in you, Lord, we praise your name this morning. We thank you. We bless you. We glorify your name above all the earth that we have a hope that the world could not give us, but you could. And for those who do not know you yet, Lord, Lord, I just pray that you soften their hearts, that you speak to them, that you drive them to their knees with a force of your love and your grace and your hope in their future. Lord, that you would show them that there is a path forward. There is a path into eternity where safety and love and purpose are waiting for them. And all God's people said,